Imagine knowing exactly what your students are learning and exactly which steps you need to take next. Join us in Down With The Reading Quiz to craft meaningful and productive formative assessments that move away from gotcha moments of basic recall and toward assessing what your students actually can do. In this 30-minute free masterclass, we'll share three powerful assessment keys that work for any novel at any time of the year. Head to shop.bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass to sign up, and we'll also send you a free workbook to keep track of all your notes. Once again, that's shop.bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass to nail formative assessments forever. Hey, Amanda. Hey, Marie. What are you up to later? Want to join me for happy hour? I'm all in. And guess what's amazing? Our listeners and friends of the podcast can also join us because Brave New Teaching Happy Hour has officially launched. Cheers. Cheers, everyone. We are officially hanging out a little bit longer after school with an extended extra private podcast feed just for you. Yes. Members of Happy Hour get extra 15 minutes of the podcast, give or take, because you know us, we run a little bit long. It's just kind of how we are. But if you would like to get in on this Happy Hour action, please join us. It is only $5 a month. Head to curriculumrehab.com slash happy hour and get yourself signed up because when you're there, Amanda, tell our friends what we do every month for our Happy Hour members. I think my favorite part is coming up with a new free resource for our listeners every month. And then we pretty much break down that resource and how to use it. We also like to have guests on to do extended episodes and even Q&A that's just for you about that resource. It's really exclusive and super private just for you. So if you are like us and you like hanging out, you like chit-chatting about all things that are teaching, teacher life, and everything under that umbrella, join us for happy hour and we will see you there. Bye. Bye. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Brave New Teaching, a podcast by two English teachers challenging the status quo. Welcome, Amanda. Well, hey, Marie, what are we going to talk about today? Well, today we are actually going to be just starting out talking about why the heck our podcast is called Brave New Teaching. And today we're going to be making the case for Brave New Teaching, talking about what it means to be brave. Are you ready to get started? Because I know I am. I am so ready. And I feel like this is a topic that is brilliant to kick off with because this is a scary thing in our day and age to be brave in the classroom and in our schools. So let's let's just jump right in. You're listening to Brave New Teaching, a podcast for educators challenging the status quo. I'm Amanda and I'm a high school English teacher in Illinois. And I'm Marie, and I'm also a high school English teacher in Southern California. We are so glad you're here. Enjoy the show. There's just something about brave. I don't know. Like when we were younger, like in my teenage days, there was like girl power and all of these things and like what it meant to be a girl was changing. And I think now being a female and being a professional in any realm takes quite a a large amount of bravery. So I think it's really good that we're talking about that, that we're talking about what that means for anybody, male, female, whatever in the classroom. Yeah. So 
I think it's huge. And I think especially in teaching, it's, it's a, it's a profession that's got us stuck in a rut so often that taking a step, a brave step in a certain direction can be really challenging because a lot of people are comfortable in the status quo. So this whole podcast series, and I think what brings us together is that you and I are ready to build community around this idea of taking those steps in a new and brave direction. So I think for me, just to kind of start off, um, being brave is all about taking risks in the classroom. And whether that's with your colleagues, with your admin and with your students, your lesson planning, I think it's critical to have community around you that feels like taking a brave step is a good step. Absolutely. And I feel like I wanted to touch on what you said about like taking risks and just how scary that can be as an educator, because first of all, you're standing, well, like the two of us, high school educators, especially like we're standing in front of a group of some of the most judgmental humans that there are on the planet, teenagers. So true. (laughs) But then also like these are other people's kids. So we have a very real responsibility of having to be extremely mindful with every single thing we say and do. And so therefore that status quo looks pretty good sometimes when your every word, your every movement can be questioned and like put up against the like held up to the light to make sure that it is okay or whatever so status quo is pretty enticing but like you're saying challenging that status quo is takes a lot of bravery and it is kind of like the thing that can save a teacher who feels like they are completely stuck and trapped in something so, so with that said, I want to share, cause I know those of you who are listening that are English teachers, I'm sure that there's more of you out there that are not just specifically English, but, um, everyone I think in the education world loves being read too. <laughs> so I'm going to read to you just a little bit. I want to read to you from our namesake, from our podcast, our, our title, um, a little bit from brave new world. And I certainly don't want anyone to think that we're suggesting that Marie and I are the totalitarian commanders of the English teaching world. We have this brilliant passage. I just wanted to read to you guys and and see if this kind of resonates with you as a teacher, um, whether or not you've read the book or taught the book. I think this, this passage is super powerful. So it begins here. It says, isn't there something in living dangerously? There isn't a great deal in it, the controller replied. Men and women must have their adrenals stimulated from time to time. What? Questioned the savage, uncomprehending. It's one of the conditions of perfect health. That's why we've made the VPS treatments compulsory. The VPS. The violent passion surrogate. Regularly once a month, we flood the whole system with adrenaline. It's the complete physiological equivalent of fear and rage. All the tonic effects of murdering Desdemona and being murdered by Othello without any of the inconvenience. But I like the inconveniences. We don't, said the controller. We prefer to do things comfortably. But I don't want comfort. I want God. I want poetry. I want real danger. I want freedom. I want goodness. I want sin. In fact, said Mustafa Mond, you're claiming the right to be unhappy, not to mention the right to grow old and ugly and impotent, the right to have syphilis and cancer, the right to have too little to eat, the right to be lousy, the right to live in constant apprehension of what may happen tomorrow, the right to catch typhoid, the right to be tortured by unspeakable pains of every kind. There was a long silence. I claim them all, said the savage at last. What do you think about that, Marie? I... I love it. I am one of those people who has never, well, I, 
here's the thing. I know I've read Brave New World because I know I read it when I was a senior in high school. Um, and I do remember pieces like this, but I have never taught it. But this moment absolutely speaks to me. The idea of comfort because, okay, so I'm in my 13th year of teaching, right? So I have definitely had some ups and some downs as anybody at any stage in their teaching career has. But I've also sought comfort. Like I've wanted to be able to just... In my head, when I was like in my second and third year teaching, I just kept thinking to myself, once I have all of my curriculum in place and I've got it all figured out, then I'll just coast and then I'll just like have a great time with my classes and I'll really know what I'm teaching and I don't have to worry about that part. And the further along I've gotten in my career, the more I've realized that seeking that comfort was A, stifling me and B, an absolute like just recipe for disaster because Finding comfort, which for me was apparently going to mean complacency, made me start to become bitter and it made my creativity take an absolute just plummeting dive. And I, 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 once I started to like figure out, and this is like recently, like two, three years ago, I really just got a fire lit under me again and my creativity started to surge back and it was when I found like teacher social media actually which is how you and I even know each other (laughs) um and when I started to find other people who were like-minded like me and and I started letting go of that comfort piece where I was just kind of trying to look like everybody else around me or what I thought I was supposed to look like what I thought everybody else was doing I got so much better at my job when I started becoming more uncomfortable (laughs) It's so true. I am the same way. I thought, absolutely, I'm going to get to this place where everything's just easy and we're going to have this picture perfect, easy lessons. Everyone's going to get along. We're going to skip around and have these deep dive conversations. And you're right. For me, that also became complacency. And I just never really felt like I was living my most creative self when I was comfortable. And I think that that this passage and like the idea of kind of naming our podcast after something dystopian for me as a teacher, I think having the bravery to question curriculum and the practices we've been doing as teachers for a long time is enormously important in a world where we are controlled by standards. Right. Absolutely. Let's just put that out there. Well, absolutely. I mean, admin and our bosses, they, they want us to follow standards and whether that's the common core or that's just the standards of the school, the whatever the current thing trend is going on, we are definitely being pushed into um, channels. We're being pushed. We're corralled into these trendy or researched, I say that in air quotes, you know, different things that we're supposed to do. And at the in the meantime, we know like our guts are telling us maybe it should be different. Well, and I, yeah, absolutely. That complacency piece, like I said, was like, we well, we both said stifling our creativity and just stifling what it was to be a real teacher and like why I got into the teaching profession in the first place. And that's connection with students. If my focus was on doing things correctly so that I could be comfortable, so that I could have my perfect little lessons that were all tied up with a bow. And don't get me wrong. Sometimes there are the lessons that like I just need to, whatever the content is that I'm teaching, there are some lessons that need to go by the book, quite frankly, and go like exactly the way that I have them planned because otherwise there's either too much nuance for kiddos to get confused or there's like places that we could get totally lost and go on you know just a side street and like lose the point of the whole lesson so like obviously there's a place and time for things to be extremely in the box but 
for me with teaching, if I didn't finally put myself out there again, because I used to put myself out there all the time when I was new and I felt like I got knocked down and knocked down and knocked down because I just didn't quite oh, know. Amen. Yeah. I just didn't know how to do it right too. That was the other thing. Like my confidence wasn't there as an educator and as a woman, because I was like 23 years old and I didn't have, I was not the person who just like came out of my credential program and was like, I know everything. Well, I acted like I knew everything. But I did not know everything. And I, I spent a lot of energy and a lot of time and a lot of tears trying to do things in a brave way. But I was just missing the mark and like spinning myself in circles, which is why then that status quo and complacency looked so enticing. Because it was like, maybe I don't have to spend all of my weekends planning and grading. Maybe if I get it all figured out, I'll be able to just coast and go with the flow, but coasting and going with the flow was not right for me either because I was losing out on my focus, which was on students and making relationships with kids. If I was focused on just prescribing my own lessons because of whatever, like you were saying, you know, standards based or whatever it is, like if I was focusing only on the very like I've kind of lost track of what I'm trying to say. Like if I had an exact task list of how to teach every single lesson, I was missing out on those connection moments with kids because my focus was on coasting through and just doing the things that I'd already had planned and doing them exactly the way I'd done them before instead of, well, maybe these kids aren't going to learn them the same as last year's kids, right? So like being, oh, that, that adaptability started to like go away. And I know you've had, like I've only taught at one school and I know you've taught at multiple schools. I'm wondering if you can kind of speak to having to adapt and like not being able to stay complacent because the population that you're teaching is different. Therefore, they're going to understand and see things differently. Absolutely. You know, I think for me, it's it's definitely been in the case of having the bravery to have some hard conversations with colleagues. So I'm in the beginning of my career, I was totally, and I'll talk about this more in another episode, but gung ho, like teaching is all I ever wanted to do from the moment I was born, you know, and everything was going to be amazing once I finally became a teacher. And, you know, I did, and I, you know, was thought I was doing everything right. And I kind of got like hard headed in the way that I was Oh, doing everything right. (laughs) You and me both. (laughs) Right. There wasn't enough way to do things. I may or may not still do that. Right. (laughs) Eventually have someone step in and be like, well, what if we tried this? So like in my early career, so I spent 10 years at one school. And in that span of a decade, I did kind of go through a process of having like curriculum that I loved, owned, wrote, and it was mine. And I've had the, I've had people come in and say, well, well, what about this? And I remember what it feels like to feel so protective over yes. your baby. It feels and, like and, like a personal affront, even though it's totally not. But that's very natural not, when you've poured so much of yourself into something to be like, I'm not doing anything oh, yeah. wrong. <laughs> right? Well, totally. And it's not even about, and I think that's the hardest thing is teaching is so personal for those of us who really care about it. Oh, yeah. and, and I think now that I'm in a new place, I think bravery for me has has started to come from a different place of, Now I have to ask the questions of the people who have been in this school now for 15 years and say like, okay, well, you know, is there a reason that we have these books at this level? Or is there a reason that this is the question that we're asking at the end of the unit? Or is there an essential question? You know, like asking questions about (laughs) curriculum is scary for me because I'm afraid of 
someone taking it personally as a diss to their teaching and their practice and what they're good at. And I never, so like that for me, like that bravery, I need to summon that every day that I have a hard conversation. And that goes for kids too. And, and like you were saying about population, you know, I've kind of transferred my, my entire population of students has shifted. I worked at a predominantly Latino um, populated school at my first decade of teaching. And now I'm in a school that's mostly, uh, mostly white students, but it's quite an interesting mix of socioeconomic levels. So it's just totally different worlds that I have come between. So definitely a difficult conversations with kids and colleagues is where I need brave new teaching. Absolutely. I mean, I will say that having those kinds of conversations with colleagues scared the pants off me for a very long time. Not because my colleagues who I adore and respect to no end, not because they were scary, but because I was scared of, like you were saying, offending them or somehow damaging a relationship that truly I wasn't pulling my weight in building, like because I needed to suck it up and be a little bit more brave and, and, try and stand on my own two feet. And instead what I would do is I would seek out like, you know, what are you like? This is early on when I was like 22, 23, right? Like, so how do you teach this? Well, so how do you like, what are you doing with that? Like I was pretty good at asking those sorts of questions just because I was like a total blank slate. But then if something didn't really like resonate in my core and I didn't feel like I could teach it true, like truly teach whatever the novel, like let's say it's a novel unit. Like I will never forget Les Mis. My first year teaching, I taught senior English. I was 23 years old and I taught Les Mis. I'm a French major, so I know Les Mis pretty stinking well. But teaching that tome to a bunch of 17 year olds was something that I was wholly unprepared for. And I have multiple colleagues who had been teaching for a while and who had all of these resources rather than like the bravery for me needed to be to be okay not knowing what I was doing and to be okay doing somebody else's thing their way and maybe falling on my face or maybe succeeding doing somebody else's lesson their way. Instead, what I did is I ran myself ragged and was like, I'm going to do it my way and like (laughs) ended up. Oh my gosh. I I ended up kind of hiding behind what I thought was my own creativity and what I thought was my own skill. It was definitely passion, but I had to fall down a few times and have kids straight up not learn anything except for how to do a pretty project before I could just like, be brave enough to look at myself and say, you need help. Like no human being goes into this profession, especially knowing all the things. So suck it up and admit that you're not that good yet at X, Y, and Z. Like, and that's okay. And you shouldn't be that good yet because then you'd be a robot, right? Like (laughs) completely. Well, and and like you said, I think admitting fault in ourselves. I think admitting fault in our curriculum design and things that we've chosen to teach over other things is something that teachers in general, like we need to just own that. Like we need to say like, okay, as an English teacher, I have prioritized the canon over culturally relevant teaching for a long time. And we need to talk about it. Like that's, that's a brave moment for a department to, to really take advantage of. We need to be able to own that and we need to be able to call each other on it. I think that's really critical. I, I constantly feel like I'm telling my, my followers on Instagram and my friends that I talk about teaching with, you know, I think, I think about teaching in terms of real estate sometimes, like whatever you give 
time to, you are saying is important. The books that we choose to purchase and give to our kids, we're saying are important. The ones we say, oh, well, we're going to just get those from the library, we're saying are a little bit less important. So things like that, like we need to like really... As a, as a teaching culture, take a step back and figure out, okay, where are the places that we need to be brave? Where do we need to admit the things that we have overlooked? There are really problematic approaches to some traditional ways of teaching that we are still doing. Um, and we really just need to look at our own curriculum and say, we are going to tackle this together. We are not going to be pointing fingers and blaming anybody. We are just going to take a brave step forward and talk about what needs to change so that we represent our students and so that we actually showcase what American public education should be teaching our students. Not this old, totally tired way of learning that a lot of schools are still stuck teaching. And it's, uh, and I have to say, like, I, I, I understand the pull. Like I keep saying the lure to that kind of complacency or to like, well, I've always been doing it this way. Or even there are, texts there are novels that like pull at my heartstrings because I absolutely love them and 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 I've seen other teachers say well if I cut that out like they get this like almost teary-eyed I can't cut that out and it's like well (laughs) I've seen that (laughs) I know and I've done that like but I had to really sit down like you're saying and look myself in the face and be like who is this for this is for students and this is for today's students. This is not for me as a student. This is not right. for my parents as students. Like, and the fact that some of the lessons that I have taught in my own classroom were very similar to the lessons that my parents learned in high school, like things need to change. And ju- just because, well, if it was good enough for so-and-so, then it's good enough for kids today. But the world is different and the kids are different and human beings evolve every single day and every single generation. Therefore, we need to be teaching them, not teaching ourselves as them, right? And I think that's what you're saying. Oh my gosh, like- it, it's totally what I was saying. And I'm kind of, I'm thinking back to about the passage we read earlier and like this idea of inconvenience. Like I think if we look at the inconvenience of reinventing curriculum as something exciting, yeah. I think that's a total shift in the energy of a department and working together as a team and saying, okay, fine, we're going to keep catching the ride. Like, I think like, fine, we're going to, let's keep it. But <laughs> how are we going to change the approach? Yeah. Right? I did, I did this with To Kill a Mockingbird, right? This is the, right. This is the one where, oh, Mockingbird. Oh. I, oh, yes. <laughs> it is my least favorite novel of all time. And I have been crucified for saying so. And, and I'm not suggesting it shouldn't be taught, but I think what was my struggle is that it never really felt like it was chosen for the right reasons with yes. the right group of kids with yes. the right approach. And that's what always killed it for me. Um, ninth graders in the winter, like, are you kidding me? Like, why would you teach To Kill a Mockingbird in January to ninth graders? I know. It is so long. Well, it's like, it is wh- so and why do you, stuff. why do you hate yourself? Why do you hate yourself? <laughs> That's what all I kept and, thinking and, to myself when I was doing the same thing was like, yeah. I like myself. Why am I doing this? Oh, and this is the one, right? Before we can even like get to a place of good conversation, it's like, well, but, but Atticus, he's my homeboy. Like, I love, I love Atticus. Sure. Like, okay. All right. Yeah. All right. That's I know you named your kid Harper. Like, all right, like let's <laughs> I, like your actual human children are named Scout and Harper or whatever. Okay, that's wonderful. I'm so happy you love this book. It's a beautiful and that it homage. <laughs> your life in ninth grade in January in 1995, whatever. But I think that the conversation now has to be 
how does To Kill a Mockingbird look in 2020? P.S. It's 2020 I already. I literally and, and can't how do we even. Talk about it? Yeah. And so, and so I posed that question. I, I love using my Instagram friends. Like you said earlier, the social media teaching revolution is like un, un other. I've never seen anything like it. I posed this question to people and I said, I want to frame Mockingbird differently than it's been done before. And, and through a process of, of conversation, we put it in this context where we use an essential question and we said, okay, when there's injustice, is empathy enough? And that was the lens that we looked at Mockingbird and a whole bunch of other stuff, because just looking at one text is, is never going to do it justice. We have to build units. I think that are, that are pulling lots and lots of different stories and uh, nonfiction, things like that. And that's just one more brave conversation that usually results in fun, lesson and unit building, right? But we have to have that brave conversation first. And the beauty of it too, is that it also results in a newfound love and appreciation for that text, whatever. For you, it's Mockingbird. For me, it's Lord of the Flies. I freaking (laughs) can't even with Lord of the Flies. And yet I have taught it just about every year of my career. And I have a newfound love for it for very different reasons, obviously, than To Kill a Mockingbird. But it does bring about that excitement, right? And it gets, you have to get a little uncomfortable enable well a lot uncomfortable (laughs) uh in order to be able to like just let that creativity flourish and explode and reach today's students who are very different than like I graduated high school in 2001 there wasn't texting yet like it's just very different the attention span and the access to attention of our students is not their fault entirely. It's not our fault entirely, but it is a new problem that we have to be able to face. And so part of approaching texts in a new way and asking new questions about them is also a matter of making sure that we can bridge the access that our students can get. I'm not saying this correctly. Making sure that we can create a bridge between our student and that text. Because like something like To Kill a Mockingbird, if you look at it and you say, is empathy enough, which I think is so beautiful, um, that's such a beautiful question. Like I can't right? say enough about it. Um, no, thank you, Instagram. I can't take total credit for that. That's okay. Well done. IG community. It was a hive uh, mind. Yeah. It was a hive mind <laughs> brainstorm. Totally. Uh huh. I love Instagram for things like that because I've gotten quite a few good ideas like that for actually Lord of the Flies out of like polls and just people suggesting, Hey, did you try this? Blah, blah, blah. Okay, so if we are to kind of recap here what brave teaching looks like and what one third of the issues are that we're going to deal with in this podcast, I'd say for me, like the highlights of this conversation would be all about being brave to ask questions of our colleagues and of our curriculum and practice. Like that for me is major bravery. And then I'd say to the to the next point would be being brave to admit our own faults and our own struggles so that we can be more collaborative. That's, that's bravery and brave teaching for me. Absolutely. And I will add on to that. I think that brave teaching is also to be able to ask yourself, are kids actually learning what I want them to learn or what in reality are they actually learning here? And so then that kind of does like circle back to the questions that asking colleagues and facing things and having those tough conversations, like you were saying, and looking at yourself and saying, do I know what I am doing right now? But like turning it back around and that reflection takes a lot of bravery. True reflective teaching practice takes so much 
just guts and grit to be able to like really face yourself and face your work and face your students and admit to students like that did not work. Here's what we're going to try instead. Huge. And I just want to say for all of you who are listening, thank you for being here. And if you have some brave teaching practices that you've gone through in these last couple of days, please feel free to reach out and hit us up on our Instagram. Of course, we'll be building an Instagram for the show. We'd love to hear from you guys what brave teaching has, look, has looked like for you uh, in the past year. I know I've talked to a lot of people recently who have taken on new jobs, taken on new roles, um, had some of these difficult conversations, and we would love to hear from you guys about the things that have really taken true teaching personal bravery in the last uh, school year. But now before I, before we say goodbye, Marie, I have to ask you a question. Are you ready? I wait, wait. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I want to know what are you obsessed with right now? I I'm obsessed with so many things. Well, right now I'm still obsessed with holiday sweets because it's pretty early 2020 when we are recording this and that's okay. Uh, I am obsessed right now with a YA series called the Glass Throne series by Sarah J. Moss. Is that her name? Yes, it is. She wrote uh, the Red... Nope, she did not write Red Queen. No, she wrote the uh, Court of Thorns and Roses series, but this is the series that she wrote before that one. So I'm obsessed with these like fae and fairy fantasy YA series. I cannot get enough of them. I read them on my iPad on my Kindle app while I'm putting my daughter down because she needs me to lay down with her for her to fall asleep. And I will sit there forever and just tap next page, tap next page because it reads so fast and I am obsessed. Amanda, what are you obsessed with right now? Um, I'm sure this comes as no surprise to anybody, but I am obsessed with the one and only most wonderful creation that Canada has ever given us, Miss <laughs> Margaret Atwood. Um, I honestly, I can't think of an author that I enjoy more than Margaret Atwood. I mean, everything she gives me is like a personal present. <laughs> um, but I got, she knew. Um, uh, <laughs> I got a hold of the Testaments finally. And oh. I am, so what, for those of you who don't know, that is the sequel to The Handmaid's Tale. And I am loving it um, so far. It's got a shifting narrator, changing narrator perspective um, attack. She's gone that route with her writing. And I love it because it's not just picking up where the story left off. It's completely giving us new perspectives into the whole world of um, what Gilead is and how it's functioning within the rest of the globe. And it is just, I cannot stop reading it. And she's done a great job of doing what I've always tried to teach my creative writing students, which is less is more. Her chapters are really short and gorgeous. So you just keep turning the page. You can and just that like is, dig into oh, it. Yeah, that's cool. Yes. And you're and you're so excited to see what's next and how it all fits together. It's just it's just glorious. And I just want to say thank you, Canada. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in for this week's episode of Brave New Teaching. Please make sure you check out the show notes for this episode to continue this conversation about what it means to be brave as a teacher in the classroom, in the education world. And we will catch you next time. And go challenge the status quo in your own classroom. Bye.